Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Friday's edition of Extra Point. It's Friday, July 28th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Guess what? Friday, Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We'll get into the weekend specials in just a minute. We'll also have that $100 gift certificate for you at some strategical point in today's program. We'll also head on out to the KDOS hotline as we'll have a conversation with Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune to chat Seattle Seahawks. That'll take place around 10:15 today. And your phone calls around 10:30 and 11:15. The number is always to dial 602-260-1060. But let's get things started with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Speaking of those Seahawks, over eight and a half wins or under eight and a half wins, and currently over eight and a half wins remains at 100 percent of the vote. You know, I think it was like five and a half last year. Obviously, the expectations weren't very high uh, after they traded Russell Wilson and Geno Smith uh, replaced him. And it turns out Geno Smith was a much more effective quarterback last year than Russell Wilson was. They finished nine and eight in the regular season. They made a playoff appearance. Unfortunately for them, they went to San Francisco and got annihilated in that game. But still, a very successful season last year. They've added a lot which we'll get into with Greg in uh, detail in the next segment. Uh, But they've added a lot defensively in free agency. Uh, They've definitely added a lot in the draft. They've been uh, unbelievable drafting players for many years. Last year, they hit the ultimate home run uh, with their draft, you know, getting two at that time, uh, two starting offensive tackles who are still going to be their offensive tackles, I assume, and they hope for years. And they also drafted two guys that ended up being a starting corner and, uh, at, at, and sometimes a starting corner and a nickelback. Uh, so they got all those guys in last year's draft. And uh, so they've added uh, uh, more. And, uh, you know, not to spoil the fun here, but uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the Seahawks or enough in this offseason. I'm a little surprised this number is just eight and a half. And uh, their schedule, I think, is actually – better than most of the teams that are in the NFC West who have actually previewed earlier in the week. Speaking of the NFC West, you also had a conversation with Michael Duarte, NBC LA in the 9 o'clock hour. If you missed it, podcast, KDOS1060.com, as well as with the KDOS1060 app. And the Twitter poll question, at KDOS AM1060, those Rams, 2023 LA Rams, over or under 7.5 wins, over sitting at 62.5% of the vote, under trailing at 37.5% of the vote. Yeah, and certainly you know, they went from Super Bowl champions in 2021. To everybody I think realizes they weren't good last year. They were five and 12 last year. That was the lowest winning percentage ever for a defending Super Bowl champion. And they had we've only done four teams officially on the air previewing the NFC West this week. But 
I've done those four teams obviously extensively. I've also started to look ahead and try to do a few a little work on some of the teams we're going to talk about in the near future here. Of the teams I've gone through, which are roughly eight or nine, uh, no question to this, at least at the early part of my research, the Rams have had the biggest turnover from the end of last season. Really, they started releasing players during last season. Uh, but you know, from this time last year, let's put it, uh, to this time now, they've got, uh, you know, they've been you know, void of rookies forever, and now they've got a million of them. Uh, they drafted 12 guys. They added 24 more street-free agents as uh, rookies. And a lot of those guys are going to have to play in key roles this year, including pretty much the entire special teams unit. So there's a lot going on there, a lot of change. Uh, and so forth. They still got the main three, so uh, we'll see how that works out. But uh, a whole different look in uh, Ramsville. And we will answer that question in its entirety around 1130 today. Still time for you to cast your vote on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Here are the weekend specials for you. Certified Angus Beef Choice Strip Steaks at $5 a pound off. Hickory or Applewood, Applewood, excuse me, bacon at $9.99 a pound. And Fresh Hole Fryers at $1.99 a pound. You can visit them on the website at Von Hansen's meats.net and we'll of course have that $100 gift certificate a little bit later on in the program. As we continue on before we make room for Greg Bell in a little while here let's talk about the Diamondbacks as they start a three game series against the Mariners tonight. The Mariners are sending Logan Gilbert to the mound he's 8-5, and 3.88 ERA, 116 strikeouts going up against Tommy Henry 5-3, 4.01 ERA 58 strikeouts, Saturday Saturday's contest is going to be Brandon Fought for the Diamondbacks, and Sunday we'll round it out with Merrill Kelly. Yeah, it looks like some of these might be a little subject to change, and uh, that's going to be the case. That not even factoring in the trade deadline, so who knows what's going to happen? I would expect, uh, I would be shocked if uh, Jerry Depoto, who used to be an executive here at the Diamondbacks and is now the general manager of Seattle and has been for a while, if he doesn't make a you know, some moves, and, and I actually think uh, that these teams are a match if they wanted to make a trade. Uh, the Diamondbacks seem to have a surplus of outfielders in their organization and could use some pitching. Uh, the Mariners seem to have, a amazingly, a surplus of pitching, starters and relievers, and they could use some outfield help. So you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I would be very surprised if Mike Hazen and uh, Depoto haven't already had you know some at least preliminary conversations as to who might be available and who they might be available to uh, you know swap and so forth, but uh, so you know, if you're betting on baseball, you know, I think you should always do this. When you should always declare your starting pitchers for these games and close those in case those guys don't start. Most betting shops will allow you to do that, but especially. This weekend, uh, you know, we had a trade during a game last night in New York. Uh, so, you know, you know, when you make a bet on a, a baseball game this next these next few days, and like I said, I think you should do this all the time. But uh, not just declare, you know, say you've got like the Mets with Verlander, you can have that bet in most locations. You can bet Mets worth with Verlander, and if he gets scratched for the start, there's no action. 
Uh, as you travel around the NL West with those battles, the Dodgers are hosting the Reds and the Giants are hosting the Red Sox. So not only is this NL West battle going on, you also have factoring in what's going to happen with the trade deadline, as you were mentioning there. So plenty of things to pay attention to with the NL West. Anything catch your attention? You know, the Dodgers haven't been standing pat so far. So much speculation now with uh, Justin Verlander, maybe the Giants, maybe the Astros, maybe the Rangers. Uh, plenty going on in the rumor mill rumor millville as well well i think the biggest thing in the last 24 hours is the nolan arenado going to the dodger rumor and he's reportedly uh told the cardinals that he would waive his no trade clause to go to los angeles i should have looked this up i apologize but i i know he went to high school in southern california i'm not sure if he's a native but uh seems like he's all in and i can understand i mean if you're you know, have to watch the Cardinals play every day, and that's got to be driving him crazy because he's a professional player. He's the best defensive third baseman I, I have ever seen in my long time of watching baseball of my generation, and he's just got to be thrown up watching the Cardinals play every day. Uh, so if you, if you had an opportunity to leave the Cardinals to go to Los Angeles where you have some history – if not a lot of history, I'm not like I said. I'm not sure if he was born there, but I know he went Newport to high school Beach, there. Newport Beach, California. Okay, so uh, not a bad place there either. By the way, <laughs> I've been to Newport Beach before, a long time ago. I think it's probably still pretty nice. Uh, he actually played high school with Matt Chapman, uh, the third baseman, another tremendous third baseman. And uh, when they were in high school, I think they only played one year together in high school. But Arenado played third, and Chapman was the shortstop. Uh, so I imagine I'd like to have been a pitcher on that team. Just just throw a strike and make sure the uh, the opposition hits it a ground ball to the left side of the infield, and you're got to feel pretty good about yourself. But uh, the biggest thing yesterday, uh, in the last 24 hours, that I think that has uh, you know, a lot of substance is the fact that you know, Arnado could be he would waive his no trade clause to go to the Dodgers. Uh, yes, there's definitely plenty of rumors. Uh, taking place with all of that as well. Potential other rumors sticking in the NL West. The Padres listening on offers to Josh Hader, Blake Snell, and then also Juan Soto. Does that surprise you at all? The Soto thing does. He's not uh, a free agent until after next season. But as I mentioned yesterday, the Angels uh, in their you know, continual year by year and then lately you know, day by day and yesterday game by game ignorance uh, with their use of Otani, they should have traded him at this time last year. They wouldn't have been in the, the spot where they couldn't get enough prospects in return this year. Uh, and uh, so the Soto thing, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he were traded. But, uh, you know, the, the hater and uh, uh, and uh, I forgot who their person was. Blake Snell. I'm sorry. Blake Snell. Uh, those guys are free agents at the end of the year, and it seems highly unlikely that even the Padres have enough money to re-sign those guys. We'll get into more baseball a little bit later on in the program, but we need to step aside, make room for Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune on the other side to chat about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Win-loss total right now is sitting at over under eight and a half. What does Greg think about the season, the expectations? Uh, is there still room for improvement for Geno Smith after what we saw from him last year, parlaying that into a contract for himself? Kenneth Walker Jr. as well at the running back position, and it also looks 
looks like uh, Devin Witherspoon has finally signed his contract. He was the last rookie uh, yet to sign his contract, and he's ready to go for training camp. So we'll get all of that information and details from Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060, online at KDUS1060.com, and with the KDUS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Continuing the NFC West previews and wrapping things up with Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune talking all things Seattle Seahawks. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline now. Greg, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you today? I'm well. I'm cooler than you are. I can guarantee that. <laughs> Something tells me you're 100% accurate with that one. <laughs> the uh, the thermometer on my car read 98 heading into work this morning, so that wasn't fun. Uh, the sun probably wasn't even up yet. That is also true. Uh, let's get into some fun topics, though, here. Uh, it looks like this morning, rookie cornerback Devin Witherspoon was able to reach an uh, agreement with the Seattle Seahawks, so he'll be in attendance now to begin training camp here. Uh, so what do you see from him uh, getting into training camp now and obviously the expectations uh, for him in that kind of, I wouldn't say revamp secondary, but trying to improve that secondary? He'll be the starting left corner, Taylor, and you pick him fifth overall. He's not going to sit on the sideline. And he's got $21 million signing bonus, and it's the highest defensive back the Seahawks have drafted since Sean Springs a quarter century ago. So he's playing. They used him some in minicamp last month as inside a slot matchup corner against inside receivers. So they're kind of experimenting right now to see whether they want to play him all over the field, a shadow corner, or just stick him on the left side opposite Reek Woolen, the rookie Pro Bowl corner from last year. So there's some some of that is still to be determined. And if they do put him inside as a matchup corner or a guy that shadows, they could have three corners on the field. Michael Jackson was a starter last year. He's been starting with Woolen and Witherspoon being out these first two practice days of camp. So they like their depth that corner. They also like the depth of safety. And they added Julian Love, who was the captain for the Giants and played every position in New York secondary the first four years of his career out of Notre Dame. Signed him to a contract this year, this offseason. And they have Jamal Adams coming back, and I hope eventually coming back here soon, from the torn quadricep he got in the opener last year against Denver. If Adams can get back on the field, then Love is going to play because he is very versatile. He could play back in the back with Pro Bowl safety Quandre Diggs, and that frees Adams up to be the more of the pass-rushing, freelancing, almost linebacker closer to the line of scrimmage that he was in 2020 when he had nine and a half sacks. So they think they're loaded in the secondary. It's the strength of the defense that otherwise was really bad up front trying to stop the run last year, and that's where most of the attention of Seattle is right now. So let me follow up on Adams. So, you know, there's concern there? There is some. Uh, he, he's still on the physically unable to perform list. It's a very tricky surgery and recovery. It's uh, a, a very extensive injury. 
He had a knee injury on top of the quad, uh, torn quad. So it, it is not it's not a fait accompli that he's going to be back for the Open. They think he can be. The sooner he is, then the sooner they'll get in this three-safety look, probably the most three-safeties at one time that Carroll P. Carroll has ever run here in Seattle. But the longer he <laughs> takes to come back, the more they may be more of traditional two-safeties and love playing back with Diggs. But I want to emphasize love is more than just a insurance policy for if and when Adams finally gets back. And love's going to play, and they want him to play with Adams. It's just not a sure thing yet. I want to also talk about another player uh, starting on the pup list and part of that defensive uh I guess revampness, if you will. Jordan Brooks, though, uh, what kind of how does things stand with him coming off of another significant injury from last season? Well, right, uh, he had a torn ACL, and it didn't happen until New Year's Day, the next to last regular season game against the New York Jets. So he's only six plus months out, not even seven months out mm. from a torn ACL. I would expect he begin the season on the pup list, which would be four games minimum he'd have to miss. Only players who can who was, were on the pup list to begin training camp are eligible to be on the pup list to start the regular season. So that puts Brooks in play for that to be roster exempt and miss four games on the pup list to start the year. His injury more extensive and just came later, uh, three months later than Adams's injury. So they signed Devin Bush from Pittsburgh, inside linebacker who himself had an ACL injury and recovery after his rookie year, a splashy rookie year with Pittsburgh a few years ago. He's a 10th overall pick out of Michigan and then really never replicated what he did his rookie year after that ACL injury. Steelers, he's now back with Bobby Wagner as the two inside linebackers right now. But if they are going to go with these extra defensive backs, three safeties if Adams gets back, or if Witherspoon does play matchup inside and they go three corners, that's going to take one of those linebackers off the field if Bobby Wagner's not sitting on any bench. So Devin Bush, we talk about insurance policy, signing him from Pittsburgh was a hedge on whether Jordan Brooks gets back and whether they go with an extra defensive back is pretty much their base defense, which I expect them to do. Okay, so you mentioned Wagner's back. They also added uh, Draymond Jones, uh, the defensive lineman. How much if those, How much are they expecting those two guys to step up and improve their defense, which was 25th in points allowed and uh, you know, 26th in yards allowed last season? Well, they were, and they were 30th against the run, Bob, and that was really the biggest weakness yeah. of this defense. Teams controlled time of possession, field possession. San Francisco, nobody – the Seahawks are not going to get anywhere towards their goal of getting to the playoffs and then the Super Bowl and they won't get home playoff games unless they could beat San Francisco, and they're not going to beat San Francisco unless they're stronger at the line of scrimmage. Draymond Jones is a big flash signing for Seattle. They're not usually in the first, second day of free agency like they were on Jones. $51 million for a guy that can play tackle and then as Denver. Very productive pressure rate and sack guy as a defensive end in the 3-4 in Denver last two seasons. $51 million is a lot for Seattle to invest in free agency. They don't do it very often. And so they're going to play him every down. They need him to be a hand Jones to be a hand on the ground, not just a pass rusher, but a run stopper as well. Last year they had Chen and Wilson with the nine and a half sacks and Bruce Irvin on the opposite side with Daryl Taylor, and they were just straight up the field pass rushers who often ran out of running lanes and didn't even need to be blocked for teams to run effectively. The Seahawks also re-signed Jaron Reed, signed him back after he left 
and went to the Chiefs and Packers for a couple seasons. And Reed's going to play more of a nose than he's played in the past. He was a 4-3 defensive tackle for them his first go-around. Pete Carroll said on the first day of training camp, no, he's our nose tackle now. The Seahawks let Al Woods go at age 35, their captain from last year. He's now with the New York Jets. Woods and Brian Monet were their nose tackles last year, and both they were not as effective and they weren't on the field a lot. Monet ended up getting hurt in December and has a bad ACL injury that he's not coming back from anytime soon. He's on the pup list as well. They drafted Mike Morris out of Michigan, more of an edge rusher and defensive end. Cam Young from Mississippi State is a nose tackle that they're going to try as well behind Jaron Reed. They are trying all kinds of new people up front because they have to because the people they had last year were not good enough. Bobby Wagner in run defense has always been good, but it's been good when he's had defensive linemen in front of him to take blockers off from. In the 3-4 last year, the front line did not do that job at all. The linebackers got blocked. Run fits were terrible. 30th in the league in rushing, 150-plus yards per game allowed rushing. They got to fix that or they're not going anywhere this year. He is Greg Bell, Tacoma News Tribune right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I want to flip this here to Geno Smith. Uh, he got himself the contract after his improved play last season. Uh, is there still room for his game to grow, and have the expectations at all changed for Geno Smith? Well, people are going to look at his statistics this year, Kayla, and I would be very surprised if he throws for 4,100 yards and 35 touchdowns again and leads the league at 69-plus completion percentage. I mean, those numbers were off the charts for him last year. Nothing in his previous 10 years in the league suggested he would do that. I mean, heck, he hadn't played in seven years. So his numbers may not be as good, yet he could still have as good or better of a season. He's got a better offensive line, younger, better offensive line, He's got now Jackson Smith and Jigba as a first-round draft pick, as a third wide receiver that they've been looking for for years to go with Lockett and Metcalf. Well, now they got one, and they've got Kenneth Walker coming back as a 1,000-yard rusher off his rookie season last year. They drafted two more running backs to augment him. Zach Charbonneau from UCLA in the second round is going to get a lot of opportunities in this backfield because they don't want Walker to be a 20-carry, 20-touch guy every week. History in the league shows that that guy will get hurt and you'll lose him. So more weapons for Smith. The the, the play caller Shane Walder knows him better. The offensive line is younger and better. He could have a better overall season without his numbers being as good. And he's got the security and now the contract. This time last year, it was, is it going to be him or is it going to be Drew Locke? And they were back and forth on who Seattle was going to commit to early in training camp. While he won the job without much competition, it was no sure thing this time last year. Well, it's a sure thing now. And this is the first time since his first, second year with the New York Jets, that we're talking 2012 and 13, that he's had the job going into a season. And that, for anything else that's changed for him, that is the biggest change. And so you're going to see a more content Geno Smith, who is he knows that he's the guy, and the rest of the team around him knows that too. Okay, you mentioned Smith and Jigba and uh, Charbonneau. Um, this is going to sound like a fantasy question. It's kind of not, but it kind of is. And it's, I'm just curious, football-wise and fantasy-wise, how much uh, Smith and Jigba, you, you Metcalf and Lockett, how much is he going to be involved? And uh, Charbonneau, does he you know, take uh, carries away from Kenneth Walker? 
Uh, yes, he will. Charbonnet is because they intended to. They don't, they don't want, as I said, Walker to carry the ball 20-plus times. He won't last. And running backs in the league just don't do. They, they, they can't. Charbonnet is very good in the pass game as well. And that's another place that he spell Walker on third downs and passing situations. Smith and Jigba is going to be their third slot receiver so much that they will probably go three wide receivers far more than they did last year. The Seahawks were the most multiple tight end team in the league last year with Noah Fan and Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. No team played more two and three tight ends than the Seahawks. Some of that was because they didn't trust who their third wide receiver was. The Eskers they drafted as their top pick a few years ago has yet to stay on the field. He's fast, but he can't stay healthy. And they finally said, okay, we're going to take Smith and Jigba and plug him in as that third receiver. And he's going to have the job from day one. Uh, I expect them to be in far more three wide receivers. I mean, back to what the, most of the rest of the league does and what they've been in recent years. And he will take targets away from, tar- from Metcalf and Lockett. Metcalf and Lockett's numbers could go down in maybe sub-thousand-yard receiving years with Smith and Jigba getting four or 500 for those yards, and they will be a much tougher team to defend. Uh, teams are going to, I think, are going to have to pick. Are we going to single cover Smith and Jigba and send all of our attention on Lockett and Metcalf, as most teams will and most teams have for years? You could do that last year and just have tight ends to worry about. Now if you do that this year, you have a really smooth route runner who's also vertical. Speed is, is better than advertised. Smith and Jigba is going to get a lot of opportunities to make plays because defenses are going to be all over Lockett and Metcalf on third downs. When you look at this Seattle Seahawks team here, and you know we're not really talking about a whole lot of position battles. The foundation really seems to be in place right now. Uh, have they closed the gap on the 49ers at all in the division? Well, Kayla, we won't find that out probably until Thanksgiving night, the first time the 49ers and Seahawks play. And then they play again 16 days later down in Santa Clara. So we will be well into the season before they actually can have a chance to prove that. They were physically manhandled in the three games, including the playoff game against the 49ers last year. 150, 170, 180 yards rushing for the Niners in those games. They couldn't run or stop the run. Seattle couldn't in those matchups. So until I see it, until I see Seattle run and stop the run, stop McCaffrey and stop what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with his varied run games, why speak with Theo Samuel? Until I see that, the answer is no. And I don't think they did enough in the front seven, specifically the defensive line. I think they're still thin in nose tackle. Jaron Reed being the new nose tackle is a new experiment for him in his career as eighth year. I don't think they've done enough up front to get that much more physical and stout stopping the run. I mean, Tampa Bay, I still remember the Munich game. I was over in Germany sitting in the outside press box, seven rows up the field, watching Tom Brady check out of almost every pass play to run in the first half of that game. Tampa Bay, no team ran it less for fewer yards than Tampa Bay going into that game in November. And they had 30-some rushes for 150-plus yards in the first quarter, first quarter and a half, and were up 21-3 because Seattle was just so light stopping the run. That has to change. San Francisco's the team that will definitely show whether that's changed or not. On paper, I don't think it has. Okay, last one for me. Uh, the consensus win total for the Seahawks is eight and a half, um, which is you know far higher than last year. When I think it was five or five and a half. So over or under eight and a half wins in twenty twenty three. Well, I can guarantee you they're not going to have eight and a half wins, Bob. I could certainly tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think this team could be a ten, maybe even eleven win team 
but again, if they don't beat San Francisco, they're going to be a wild card. If they're a wild card, they're on the road in the playoffs, and their history says they're not going to go anywhere when they do that. So they, while they could be a better team, they still may not be good enough to beat San Francisco and win the division. Their schedule is, is tricky. Um, they do have they don't have the massive East Coast road trips that they've had in the past. They're traveling all over the world. They still have traveling more than anybody, but that's because where we are up here in South Alaska. But the San Francisco, the NFC West certainly has changed, as you know, and it's not the best division in the league. It's not the, everyone beating each other up anymore. If they're as good as they seem to be and want to be, they should be able to win. Sorry to say, four games between Arizona and the Rams. And if they do, then you can get to 10 or 11 wins. Uh, I certainly think Geno Smith and where he is in his career and certainly what they've given him with new contract and the stability, uh, it, the, the tenor and everything else on the offense with Geno Smith certainly different. Uh, the defense will decide whether they get much more above nine wins. But if you're asking me what I bet my money on the over, and the answer is yes. Greg, this is always fantastic information and conversation with you. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Bob. Enjoy You're... 100 plus. I hope it gets better for you down there. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll be rubbing it in when it's December. Oh, you you you're darn right it will. <laughs> Bring it sideways up here. I hear it. Thanks so much. Have yourself a good weekend. Take care, you too. Once again, he is Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune. Uh, We'll get into a little bit more about the Seahawks and that schedule uh, that Greg had alluded to there at the end on the other side of the break. You can also chime in if you'd like to. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls uh, now and talk to you on the other side of the break. Some other NFL topics from training camp coming up as well. It's all happening here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS. 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. A reminder for you as the month of July here is almost concluding, uh, get yourself the KDOS 1060 app, download it, register, and follow along with the instructions for how you can get yourself eligible for the chance at a $100 gift certificate put up by Superbook Sports. More Seahawks conversation, NFL conversation, your calls if you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060. It's all happening next here in the Extra Point. Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Friday, July 28th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. A thank you to Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune for joining us in the previous segment to chat all things Seattle Seahawks. If you missed any of the conversation podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app, we'll get into the schedule construction for the Seahawks in just a minute. But as promised, phone call time, 602-260-1060 is the number. Let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline, and it's Al in Phoenix. What's on your mind today, Al? Uh, Hi, Bob and Caleb. Well, you think that we're watching or witnessing the end of the Pac-12, essentially? 
happen. Is this, and it could in this disintegration. You think it could happen even maybe within a year or two? I think it depends on what happens with Oregon and Washington. Um, I'm fully in support of ASU and the U of A, and especially the U of A for basketball reasons, leaving for the Big 12 like five minutes ago. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. I, if I'm those two schools, or certainly the U of A, I'm looking to join Colorado in the Big 12, and I'm sure that yeah, I don't think there's any secret out there that the Big 12 would really like to have the U of A. I haven't really heard them say much or any speculation about ASU, quite frankly. But uh, you know, they consider themselves the best basketball conference in the country, which they have certainly been for at least two, maybe three seasons. And adding the U of A to that group would uh, you know, only enhance their basketball product. So I would do that, and uh, there, you know, there's been talk really since USC and UCLA left for the Big Ten that Oregon and Washington really kind of they want kind of leave anyway. So this is a mess. Uh, you know, I think the only salvation or the only way you know, salvation is maybe I don't know if that's too strong a word or not, but whatever. Uh, they need to figure out how to get San Diego State in this conference. You know, they have. Uh, for literally 30 years, been reluctant to add San, San Diego State because of the academic standards there are not up to the, quote, academic standards oh of the uh, of the uh, Pac-12. And uh, there's I know there's lots of SMU talk out there and, you know, so much for the, uh, you know, the regional thing. But, you know, I think the regional, you know, conferences are out the window several years ago. But SMU's in Dallas and SMU in the Pac-12 is a little strange. They've been kind of left out of the mix, and uh, they have a, a, a solid athletic program. And uh, you know, the, at least I know of the two major sports, quote unquote, uh, they seem to be okay there. So, but uh, I think they're in scramble mode. It was a week ago today that uh, George George Klyovkov, amongst his many riddles at the uh, Pac-12 media day, uh, you know, seemed to be you know they asked him about uh, realignment like a hundred different times and. Uh, don't need to do that. And then less than a week later, Colorado is, you know, bolting for the uh, for the Big 12. So oh. it's uh, and it's just, an, I think, the, the, unfortunately, nationally speaking, the Pac-12 has become a complete embarrassment. I'll add one more thing. I'll add one more thing here, though, as well, um, that the the statement that the Pac-12 released last, last night indicating that, you know, they're still committed to getting this media rights deal done and that after the media rights deal is done, they will look to expansion. Uh, if you're a media rights uh, partner, you're in the driver's seat because at this point, why would you give up massive amounts of money when you don't even know who's going to be in the conference? You've already had one school yeah, bolt. Exactly. Who's also going to bolt? There's just too much. Uh, you know, unknown. So why are you going to put pen to paper on a long-term massive deal? I think that this whole thing is a complete disaster for the Pac-12, and I would lean in the direction that, unfortunately, we may have seen the last of it as we know it. I'll just add to that. I mean, it's not like the Pac-12 is driving television ratings across the country, even uh, in the heyday. Uh, You know, so it's uh, other than a USC-UCLA football game, and a University of Arizona UCLA basketball game. Who watches the Pac-12? You know, it, that's a good point. It was. It seemed like San Diego State was on the precipice of joining, but I guess now they're back in the Mountain West. And, oh, and I'm sure money could talk. Sure, money could talk them out of that. So. <laughs> okay. 
And the other thing, I heard Michael Crow really loves the Pac-12, and he wouldn't want him. Yeah, he's like would go down with the ship with the conference. I don't know if that's true. Just heard, uh, heard well, that. I think yeah. publicly most of the conference presidents have uh, you know kind of echoed that, except for you know, Dr. Robbins in Tucson, who <laughs> seems to be not opposed to joining the Big Twelve. I mean, I don't think he he's been in support of the Pac-12 and verbally and. Just his words have been, but I think there's uh, he sent some mixed mixed messages there. It's just it's too good of a foot uh, fit basketball wise. I don't think the Big Twelve even gives a damn about the U of A in football. They could care less. But getting them in basketball would be a real coup for them. All right. Well, thanks, Bob and Kayla. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. 602-260-1060 is the number, as always, to chime in. We'll have more phone call time around 11.15 today. Back to the Seattle Seahawks here. Uh, we'll have a poll question uh, later on with them in regards to over under eight and a half wins. That's over at KDOS1060.com. But when we look at this Seattle Seahawks uh, schedule, they start week one at home versus the Rams. Then week two, they're on the road at the Lions. Week three, they're home against the Panthers and week four, they are at the New York Giants and an early bye week for them coming in week five. I think this is a really, they've got a bizarre schedule. I think they have a very soft first four games as you just mentioned. That Monday night game in New York's on a Monday night and then they have a bye after that so there's not like you have to play a short week or anything so that's a good thing too. And, uh, you know, I think they're better than the Giants. I, I would be actually surprised. Uh, three and one at you know, at worst, uh, the first four games. And I think uh, they're going to be favored to win all four of those games. And maybe not the game at the Giants, depending on what happens with the Giants. But that's a very nice start to the season. They also have a very nice conclusion to the season. Their final three games are at Tennessee. Who knows what's going on at that point with them. I think they could either be really good or if things don't go well at the start of the season, you know, they could have, you know, they could be a disaster uh, by the end of the season if everything doesn't go right for them. So that, you know, they play at Tennessee, home against Pittsburgh, and then at Arizona. Uh, that's the last three games. Now, that's those are the good things. They have a brutal four-game stretch from November 23rd through December 17th, they play San Francisco at home. That's on Thanksgiving night. Then they play at Dallas the following Thursday. Then they play at San Francisco. That's like a half bye week type of thing. Uh, and then they play home against Philadelphia. So that's a four-game stretch. San Francisco at Dallas at San Francisco home and against Philadelphia. Talk about Good physical. Oh, exactly. So, and that's at the end of the season too. That's November 23rd through December 17th. So you got guys that are already worn down. That's the negative also of having a buy in week five. Uh, this is a team with uh, that kind of brutal schedule at the end that would uh, be, I think, better suited if the buy were later in the year. But I do think that the, the two soft schedule stretchers at the start of the season, at the end of the season – uh, I think that over eight and a half is a good investment. I don't know. Does this 
I could be just completely grasping at straws here. When you talk about kind of this soft schedule here and then you go right into a bye, do you maybe not get as prepared for this intense stretch that you're talking about there starting at Thanksgiving? Or is it just normal wear and tear intensity as it is anyway for uh, an NFL regular season game? I think that's a really good point. I have no idea to answer the question. That's when it, how many times do I say that's when I, you, 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 many times you have a really good point and I say that's a really good point and I don't have an answer to the question. That's kind of my, uh, I think that's my definition of how good the question is if I don't have a, you know, a, a, at least a, a logical or hopefully logical answer and response. But that that's, you mentioned the physical part. I mean, those are also you know, three really good teams, and you play San Francisco twice during that stretch. And I believe I was so emphatic when we were talking about San Francisco on Monday because they have that brutal stretch as well, sandwiched with those yeah. Seahawks games. And I think I said that stinks. Well, I guess and I have by that definition, I have to say this stinks too because if these are supposed to be some of the better teams that are going to come out of the NFC, you would like to maybe have it a little bit spaced out just because of that physical nature being so condensed. I agree with that, but the, I think the, the biggest difference between the San Francisco schedule uh, and the Seattle schedule, I think almost anybody would uh, think this if you really examine the schedule at all, is that Seattle, while they still tra- travel a lot of air miles because they're in Pacific Northwest, they they don't have nearly as much East Coast going back and forth. San Francisco has five games in the Eastern time zone as we talked about earlier this week with Matt Mayoko. And, uh, you know, they're, I'm sure gonna, they have a couple of those games or consecutive weeks, and they've done them in the past. They stay in Youngstown, Ohio, the, you know, the, uh, the DeBartolo compound or whatever they have there. Uh, that's where they hang out between these games the week between instead of going all the way back to San Francisco. But just that part of the schedule is a massive advantage in my mind for Seattle. Yeah, to your point here, uh, they do travel to Detroit week two. That's technically the Eastern time zone. Uh, but then to really go east, you have the New York Giants. Um, and then you have the uh, Baltimore Ravens. That's about as east as they and go. The, the, and right, the Giants game, they have a bye the week after. Correct. So, you know, that's, that's, a, good, that, that's, a, that's a good part about the bye. The bad part of the buy is that you know, I think they would like to have it later in the season because I assume everybody would like to have their buy later in the season. Uh, if I were an NFL team or an NFL player, uh, I would want a buy. You know, Double-digit numbers would be best for a buy you know, it's, if I had a choice. We'll get into a little bit about the 3M Open, touch on some things that we have uh, noticed with training camp injuries. It happens every year. That also stinks. We'll get into that as we wrap up our number one next. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060. fast. 
last final segment of hour number one on this Friday, July 28th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A look at the 3M Open TPC Twin Cities on the PGA Tour. And uh, heading into all of this, we were talking about some of the bigger names. Justin Thomas needing a really solid event here to catapult himself into the top 70 in the FedEx Cup playoffs. And uh, this is not what he's looking for. He is currently at two under par. He is done for the day. And currently the projected cut line is sitting at minus three. So that's not what Justin Thomas is looking for. Then when you're also looking at the odds on favorite 14 to one heading into this thing was Cameron Young. He's also at two under par for the tournament. So that's currently on the outside looking in. Joel Damon was another player who uh, was on the outside looking into the FedEx Cup playoffs needing a good week this week he's also sitting at two under par so if something happens if some weather picks up here uh toward the afternoon and makes conditions really challenging then maybe the cut line can go to two under par but i don't anticipate that taking place when it comes to who's winning the golf tournament it's kevin streelman it's jt poston they're sitting at 10 under par right now our guy hideki matsuyama he shot seven under yesterday he is teeing off now as we speak, so we'll continue to monitor him. Eric Cole, our guy, he had a great day today, five under par. He's six under for the tournament. He's sitting in a tie for 11th. As that's all happening at the 3M Open, plus Tony Finau, the defending champion, he shot five under yesterday. He is also teeing off now as we speak. So we'll monitor that throughout the program. We have much more NFL discussion coming up in hour number two, plus a report from training camp in the Arizona Cardinals, what took place in the first open portion of practice to the public. We'll get all of that here in the Extra Point, plus your phone calls at 1115-602-260-1060, of course, is the number. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break for hour number two on this Friday, July 28th.